Welcome to the Practical Missions Podcast. I'm your host. Today on the pod, I talked to one of my best friends. I actually interviewed him in episode 12, Running the Race with Endurance. If you haven't listened to that one, it's so good. You have to go back and listen to it. You're really going to benefit from that conversation. Episode 12, Running the Race with Endurance. But today, we're going to be talking about leadership on the field, or leadership and missions And he has really good insight because he has not only been on the field, worked with leaders both on the field and in home offices, but he's also led as well. So he kind of straddles both worlds. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast today. I know I certainly did. I think you're going to hear how much I enjoyed it as you you listen. And I would love to hear your thoughts on the matter of leadership and missions and feedback. So let me know what you think. All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast, my dear friend. It's good to have you back. You're in a very exclusive category of people that I have recorded twice. So whatever that, maybe it just means I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe it means I, I'm just going back. It's just, these are just repeat customers. You know, this is just the easy, the easy ones to go back to. I'm the only one who still wants to do it. <laughs> Uh, there's probably a lot of truth there. You, I, you're one of the people I, uh, I respect and admire. You're like in my top five of people on the planet. <laughs> I respect and admire and and listen to. I really listen to what you say. I don't know if you've picked that up, but I love listening to you. I learn a lot, you know. So whenever you talk, I try to like be really, really engaged and be like, okay, what can I learn <laughs> from from this guy? Um, and so I'm excited to have this conversation with you. We're going to talk about leadership and missions today, and I think this is an interesting topic to tackle. How do you feel? How do you feel about it? Are you ready? Are you ready for this one? I am. Um, I, I saw your questions and I was like, ooh, this. Like I said to you uh, in the text the other day, like, oh, this is going to be exciting and scary. <laughs> They were good questions, I think. So I think we can have a good conversation around them. Before we do that, though, you are taking a year-long sabbatical, which I think is absolutely incredible. I think it takes a lot of guts to take a sabbatical. It takes a lot of humility to take a sabbatical, I think, in, the, in, in missions. So I'm just curious to know, like, who or what are you learning from right now? And what is having an impact on you? So one of the things I'm trying to <laughs> take a sabbatical from is some of the intentionality that I feel permeates my life Hmm. Uh, oftentimes in a good way and i think god wants us to be intentional with things we do uh, as stewards and and disciples of his and friends of his but i but i also keep keep one i want to keep learning and i want to keep growing so um but so so one one preacher um author that i've that i've read a little bit is is called john mark comer from the west coast of the u.s i much appreciate the way he interacts with the Western secularized mind, so to speak. Uh, he explains things in a way that I understand and that my, so to speak, my Western secularized mind uh, can believe and understand and mm. say, ah, oh, that makes sense. And I could pass this on to one of my old friends from university or something. And they'd be like, huh, I don't agree, but it makes sense. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I love people who are able to explain uh, like worldview and culture and what's going on, why we think to us. I think it's so helpful. It is the environment we're, we're in. It's the, the pond we're swimming in, so to speak. Otherwise, if, if we don't understand that and, and can relate to it and interact with it, it's, it's become, it becomes static and it, be, it doesn't become relational, so to speak. Our, mm. our, our interaction with people, our understanding of people's view of the world, etc., and it just becomes like a copy paste that that don't make sense. And I, I think that's that's a part of a very important part of, of missions to just mm. be able to yeah to understand the context and interact with it adequately and relevantly, so to speak, without of course diluting the message. Yeah, one hundred percent. If you're not if you're not bringing the message in the right package, as it were, it's never going to be understood. I I think in the West as well, it's the like you said, it's the pond we're swimming in, and the fish doesn't know he's in water unless he's told. You know, it's just, just one of those things where have if you're not having somebody help you understand what's going on, maybe you won't understand what's going on, or you're going to understand what's going on from you're the people who are going to be explaining culture to you are not going to be coming from a, a biblical Christian worldview. Mm. It's going to be the news or social media or whatever else. Hmm. I like that idea as well that you said, I'm just trying to be less intentional hmm. during my sabbatical. I think that is such a healthy way to think, especially for people who are very intentional, like I know you are. So hmm. the Lord bless your time. Hmm. Thank you. You've worked both on the field and kind of in the doing the doing the grunt work, learning the language, making friends, learning the culture, doing the trainings. But then you've also worked in leadership. You've worked very closely with leaders, both cross culturally on the field and in your own home country. And you've worked with yeah, you've worked maybe more broadly than I have with with leaders. So I'm interested to hear what you're going to say about these things. Let's start with what do you think is a healthy leader? in missions brilliant question i wish i knew the answer to that (laughs) (laughs) um but some some thoughts you need to be proactive so to speak with your own in your own discipleship walk Um, because missions i might do a little rabbit trail here but but in yeah please do because missions in a way missions is it's a bit of a weird thing because it's it's our work but it's also just our walk with jesus yeah and and maybe this is one thing that that like a big big tricky thing for me having been both on the field and then working in the home office when you're in in an office you you go to work and then you go home from work and you have very Mm. clear deadlines and and you are a cog in the big wheel that enables other people to go to the field and to stay on the field so you need to do your stuff then you go home, and then you have your neighbors, you have your family, you have your friends, you have uh, the people you, you, I don't know if you're part of a, of a ministry tour to, to people. So, so in a way, your missions work continues after hours. But also, like, if someone who's always been on the field and, and lived on the field, front line, if they see the work that the home office do, they might be like, wait, wait you guys are just pushing papers and working in Excel, you know? What does hmm. this have to do with anything? And in one way... It has everything to do with it, but in another way, it's like unless it's done with with the right heart, it's I don't know. It's just it could be just like any other job. Yeah. Um, 
And I think I'm not, I haven't made sense of this yet, and, I, and I'm trying to make sense of it. So all that to say, when you work in missions, it's your job, but it's also your discipleship. And, they're, and they need to be connected, but they're not necessarily the same thing. No, I totally get that. I totally get that. I think one of the hardest things in ministry across the board is this over is the either the professionalization of your spiritual life or the also like it could it can be tricky to professionalize your relationships if you're in my position where I'm on the field, you know, and every friendship I have with a local person, I like is somehow connected to my job, yeah. you know. Or you could have it the other way, I guess, when you're where you're in a home office and you could just think like, you know, there's no difference between the only difference maybe is I'm making less money, you know, pushing the papers here than I would be in the secular world. Sure. You know, you could lose the vision yep. uh, of what of the, the bigger vision, the bigger picture of what you're doing as well. So, yeah, no, I think having that consistent discipleship in your own life yeah. i can see how that is definitely key to balancing these two sides yeah. of the of the frame so if we come back to your question there so the discipleship and then you need you need to have a, a, a vision or faith for what you're doing to make it clear that it, it is not the same in one way to push papers in, in the missions office than it is to to do so in a, in a business but it, because otherwise you wouldn't do it unless you thought that this was really you know what God, what God had for you and, and what he wanted you to do is this vision and faith is this kind of calling like a personal calling or is it more like as or, or is it more like as a if you're thinking of it like as a leader like I believe in what we're doing as an organization. Yeah, and this is where I haven't arrived yet because I, ah, it's just so, it's it's not it's not easy. I think because you you in one way like some some of our some of the, some of the people in our organization they they talk a bit quite a bit about like you know sending sending people who have normal jobs uh, mm -hmm. scatter stuff, uh, which yep. I think is great and I think it's, it's so good you know. But in a way, so it's in a way, they want to move away from. I, I'm interpreting it. I'm interpreting it as if they want to move away from the paradigm that says that Christian, uh, that that the that ministers and missionaries, their calling is a little bit higher than the others, which is mm -hmm. I would say how we've viewed it previously and throughout the centuries. No, no, no calling is necessarily higher than another because you can you can make any work into worship. Or I, I struggle believing that being a missionary and a uh, and or a pastor or similar is a higher calling. But then again, if we believe that people's eternal souls that that they need saving is if we believe that the most important thing, well then it has to be a higher calling, right? But then and then and then you come to the thing of like, okay, so I, I'm working in office. I don't I don't personally like share with people so much. What then? And then I, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I th I think in the, in, <laughs> I don't know if it's my place to give my opinion here, but I think if I can just add something to that, the goal is not souls saved. The goal is that we glorify God in whatever we do. Uh, so our ultimate goal in life is not to save souls. Our ultimate goal in life is whether we eat or whether we drink, we're doing it to the glory of God, that, that God himself is the center of our lives. That should result in us sharing our faith, going to the ends of the earth or, or, or staying in our home cities uh, 
to sh- and the, and the, that the gospel should be shared because we want God to be glorified through people coming to faith. But I think you can glorify God just as much in, you know, writing a book mm. as you're doing, mm. or evangelizing unreached tribes. Mm. Because ultimately, the goal is to glorify God. What do you think about that? No, I think it's beautiful. I think it's it's so good, um, and I think that also like helps us frame the whole. How do we count, or how do we how do we um, measure our success? Um, yeah, I mean, in, in one way, it doesn't help, but in another way, it, it does help. Yeah, because because it's 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 not about quantity; it's about quality, so to speak. But since we are an organization, since there are organizations, and organizations. You know, if what you measure gets done, uh, and it's hard to measure personal sanctification and how much you know this and this person honors God. Um, <laughs> That's you, right. You got to find you got to find other other things to measure. But uh, no, but I, I really appreciate what you're saying there. Yeah, it's yeah. it's quite impactful when you said it just now. Yeah, I want to come back to the measuring part because I think this is so important because leaders drive what we measure and this creates culture or maybe uh, it tries to create culture. Sometimes culture is stronger than what we're trying to measure. Yeah. And But, but uh, I think measuring and celebrating go together. So what we, what we measure, we celebrate and what we celebrate, we're measuring. And so I want to get back to that I know you. I'm confused about how we're supposed to measure in in ministry, whether it's a church or a local church or a missions organization. And I appreciate what you said. You said we are part of an organization. We're not. We're not part of a chaos. Mm. We're part of an organization. So we do need to do some things. We do need to have organization. And uh, I appreciate that yeah. uh, perspective. Can I go back just and add a few more things to the to the question about healthy leaders in mission? Before? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So. Going back to, to the question of, of healthy leaders in mission, I just want to add two more things, or three more things. Uh, yeah, please. Do. Out of <laughs> the many good things one can say. So your own discipleship walk, a vision for the work so that you press forward. And then I want to say something about cultural intelligence hmm. because it is cross-cultural. And, and you know how they we talk a lot about in the West now about like about diversity in these things. And there's, hmm. there's like research evidence, uh, empirical evidence that say, that if you have a team that is more diverse, they'll produce a better product or they'll get further. But hmm. oftentimes what people forget to say is that that is true if, for example, the, cult, the, the leader has cultural intelligence. Can you unpack what cultural intelligence is really quick? Yeah, so it's basically just understanding that we are different, understanding that we are similar, and how hmm. to deal with the differences and to build on the similarities. So I guess it's very yes, simplified. But 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 no, so, it's good. Yeah. So for this internet, this international team, this diverse team to to be more efficient than the monocultural team, the leader needs to have CQ, cultural intelligence. Mm. And then another thing they say when they've looked at, at like different types of leadership across across the globe and in different organizations and teams, etc., they've said the one the one success kind of factor that they've found to be true in, in those who succeed with whatever they do is emotional intelligence. Hmm. So the ability to to know your own emotions, to interact with your own emotions, to control control or manage, I should say, um, your own emotions, and then to be able to sense what other people are feeling and interacting adequately with those feelings and and the state the person's in. Wow! Wow! So 
So those I, are... I love no, I love it. I I, I'm, I I just want to say wow, and then keep listening. Okay, <laughs> okay, yeah. So uh, and 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 that of course is a it's a it's a it's a big one. It's a tricky one. And I think we have been given different levels of emotional intelligence from our family situations and from the the mm, things yeah. we've had. And I remember when I was a teenager, my mom like she she forced me to say what I felt about things. Force is a strong word, mm. but she was like you got to say what you feel about it. But I was like, I, I don't feel so much. I just think about it. This happened and okay, it happened and mm. now we're here, you know? And kind of at the same time, I started drinking coffee. And so my mom and I, we'd sit drink coffee every now and then uh, in my late teens and early 20s before I moved out. And then I think, I felt, so I think she helped foster in me like a, a higher emotional mm. intelligence for which I'm very grateful. Um, and then having gone to, gone, uh, the counselors had a coach within our organization and myself studied to become become a coach has also helped me a lot with the self-awareness and, and there's different tools to help you understand your feelings and i just the other day i sat and <clears throat> and worked through all my notes from yeah i've i've had um uh yeah like we talked about i think last time we spoke um had issues with anxiety and stuff and mm. found like my notes on my phone like dozens and dozens of pages wow. of like how, how i deal with these different anxious situations so so I've, I've i've been given a lot of opportunity to, to work with that so uh, which yeah for which i'm thankful and then having read this research is like says that it, it's a good thing it's a, it's a very hmm. very good thing to have high emotional intelligence and then uh, the last thing i want to say about healthy leaders in mission is the ability to rest um, wow and this can look differently for different people if you're single it's different from when you're a couple or a family but I guess, in short, the ability to turn turn off your work mind and to mm. to have your stressometer go down to zero, mm. <laughs> whether that is is having guarded space every day or every period or every week. Uh, I remember when I when I lived in in your country and we worked together and hung out together. We had the one day a week that was one hundred percent off. Uh, yeah, and that was like that was so huge, it was so mm. great. Uh, I loved it, and it was so healthy and helpful, and it enabled me to 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 you know go full on the other six days because I knew mm. I had this haven, this oasis where I could just rest and let down. And yeah, yeah, we practiced that Sabbath rest for maybe ten years or so, and I I, I practiced it until I started living with locals, yeah. and I found it so helpful. Mm. Even now, on Friday and Saturday, I most likely won't respond to anything work-related, anything organizationally related to my work. Mm. If it's relationally related with Arabs or whatever, maybe I will. But if you, but most of the time, if you send me a text on Teams or an email, I won't, uh, I won't respond. Mm, So I, I still try to keep a little bit of that, just like. At least the administrative side of the work, you know, just keep it away. Mm. Well, that's good. That's really good. I like these things. I like the the consistent in your discipleship vision or belief in what you're doing that motivates and drives you, cultural intelligence, emotional intelligence, and boom, the ability to rest, which a lot of cross-cultural workers struggle with. Mm. Mm. And so then let me go back to my question. What kind of leaders do we actually attract? Yeah. Yeah. When I think of the leaders in our organization, it's a lot of beautiful people who, you know, big hearts, very competent, 
love Jesus, love the lost. So, and there's a lot of people that I really appreciate and admire. And, and the difference maybe between us and an organization where you, uh, or a company, so to speak. In a company, you, you have a bunch of money to recruit whomever you want, potentially. <laughs> so you, you, can, mm. you can get people who are like professional leaders. Mm. You just get them from another company or whatever and sometimes you 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 raise them up from within of course uh, but with us i think it's a, a lot of most of us have probably climbed the ladder so to speak even if that's not we, we don't uh, i don't we don't want to think about but it as a career uh but we've grown in stature and competence and experience and therefore we've been been given more and more responsibility i think it's more who are given the opportunities and who take the opportunities maybe then who do we attract I mean, I could, I could be wrong, but but that's just my my, my initial thought and response to your to your question. Who do you think are getting those opportunities? Then uh, do you see that there's a speci- Are there any patterns that you see in the people who are in leadership admissions? I, I must say, it's, I find it hard to say that that, that that I can see a pattern because um, mm-hmm. what I see, maybe the pattern I see, is that the people the people who stay, they get the opportunities. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah. We have the the people who come for a week. We have the people who come for for a few months. We have the people who come for two years, and those who stay two or three of those two year periods, and then we have the people who 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 are doing this for the long for the long haul, mm. the long time. And I guess if you stay, you will be considered to lead. And it's beautiful because we we do let people lead who are young. We do let people lead who are not so experienced and of course there's the downsides of that but it's there's also the, the beauty of of you know not not looking down upon the young and also you do learn through experience and we also have a lot of good training for leaders and, and a lot of efforts have been done by those who work with people development and, and leadership development to create courses and and offer tools for people who are in the organization and also who work with us who are not in the organization to grow as leaders because i think i mean leadership is is an art it's a skill and i think as a leader you need to to give attention to it you will learn from ju- from quote unquote just doing it but also to to reflect on what you do and to be intentional with growing as a leader i think is is an importance so if you stay in the organization you might be offered leadership <laughs> no, i don't know uh, yeah. leadership by seniority oh yeah yeah because i know people i know people who who want to lead and i know people who just do it out of obedience to the lord and because there's the need in the organization that they work with you know i think there are we do put emphasis somehow on uh training leaders are there are many different courses i've been on some courses before that have been offered to me and paid for by the organization i'm very thankful for those and i feel yeah, and I, I'm very grateful for those. I, I learned a lot. But I think there's also there also can be a feeling of being undervalued by leadership from kind of the normal people, the people doing the grunt work. In, I, I, I've never worked in a home office, but I'm sure there's some of that in home offices as well as on the field. I've talked to several people who have been in the secular world and then in missions or vice versa who talk about being valued more in the secular world than in the mission world by their bosses, by their leaders. So I talked to one guy, for example, who said 
he and his wife and family, they were thinking about leaving ministry altogether and going into the secular world after having felt called kind of to, to serve long term. He said to me that not a single person in leadership said, why don't you think about staying longer? Mm. He said, if just he said, if just one person in leadership would have said, we want you to say, we see value in you being here. Mm. He said, we would have stayed and nobody said anything. Mm. So they left. Mm. What do you think about that? What do you think about like this disconnect people feel from uh, this value, this disconnect in value people feel from leaders to people on the ground? Do you have any thoughts there? Mm. Do you disagree with my, with what I'm saying? Maybe. <laughs> no, I don't know. I I haven't maybe felt it or or heard about it. But I mean, it's. I mean, you're 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 sharing that you've talked to a bunch of people, and it's probably true. Then, at least for some fields or for some leaders or some types of ministry, maybe. But what, when when you when you say this, I come to think of what we talked about before about measuring success. Mm. and clarity of what the work is. So if, you, if you're in a, in a company and uh, your boss asks you to do a certain task, you do it and he, you come back to, to him or her and say, uh, okay, here it is. And, and the boss says, wow, this is amazing. Like, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate that, you know. Yeah. You really you helped me create this presentation for the board or whatever. Uh, you saved my, my behind. <laughs> uh, yeah. Whereas when it's frontline work, if we can call it that, it's it's so much. It's less clear what success it is. It's less clear maybe what specifically the the work tasks are. So it's harder for the leader to be like, "Wow, well done, good and faithful servant," because they don't actually know. And maybe the frontline mm-hmm. worker actually don't want to be held accountable either. Specifically, like how many people do you share, share share with this week? How much of the of the leader of the multiplication DNA did you try to infuse into your discipleship <laughs> relations? You know, uh, because it is maybe unclear. It's hard to be to be specific with feedback, with encouragement, with gratitude, and also like yeah. If I if I think back of my my years uh, in the in the Middle East, I remember my leaders saying to me like, "Well." You you often want to have your options open, right? You don't want that much clarity. And I was like, uh, well, I and I was like, no, you're. Right. <laughs> what was the what was the context there? Well, it was it was like to what is what is my work? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so you want to have the flexibility and freedom to build your own schedule? Yeah, exactly. And, and when I kind of like complained that it was unclear, like I got a little bit of pushback. It was done in a good way, and I and I actually agree. Because I did want my freedom, you know. But anyway, if you if you want your freedom, then you maybe will lack clarity. And if there's no clarity, mm, wow, it's not so clear what you've done or if you've done it well. Mm, yeah, no, I think that's good insight. If you want your freedom, there's going to be less clarity in what you're supposed to be doing, mm. or in what success or what measurements we use to. Uh, determine success in what you're doing. Yeah. And maybe there's also going to be less clarity from your leader in what you're doing as well. So maybe it's harder for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. Well, what should we be measuring then? I think this is like a great question to ask. I think this is, if we could get this right in missions, mm-hmm. we would be saving so much heartache. All right, here's what I see. And then you can tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. I see an acknowledgement that church planting in unreached places is hard and messy, but 
if you follow the formula, you're going to get it. Mm. So are you following the formula? That's what I see. Yeah. What do you think are healthy, unhealthy ways of measuring success? How can we do this better? No, it's good. And, and it's, it's one, of those, one of the frustrations I have with working in or having worked in, in Christian work uh, for a long time. It is, you know, here's the best practice, but is it a recipe for success? Hmm. And, and, and then you say, well, all the people who, who kind of did the groundwork and prayed for, you know, decades and nothing happened. And, and then one day, boom, someone else gets your movement <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, somebody else gets your movement. I like that. I heard somebody say, it took 10 years of hard work for me to become an overnight sensation. Yeah. What did you think of that? I thought like from the outside, it looked like this person had succeeded overnight. But in this person's perspective, they had worked hard for 10 years to get to that place. Of course, it was in the secular world. I think the principle is there that that it's more hard work Mm. than what kind of meets the eye than what it than maybe what it seems. Yeah. 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 Success is harder than what it seems. Yeah. But maybe we come back here to the to the CQ of the leader and the ability to to relate to people and to create understanding around the the formula. It's a sad word to use, but I understand <laughs> why you use it. Yeah. Uh, uh, to to create understanding around the the methodology and kind of check for buy in, and then just give attention and time to the frontline worker. To help them, yeah, implement it and and work with it and and see if they agree with it. Do you think we give too much leniency, too much slack to frontline workers? Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, just some some thoughts on that. Like, since it's it's unclear what work is, we don't want to measure it too harshly because it's. It's my life you're talking about. Hmm. Since I'm, I just don't go to work eight to five, and especially if I have a family and and these things on the field, it's not just a, a eight to five work. So any like critique or or uh, yeah, you know, it becomes very personal, very right, fast, doesn't right? It? Yeah, or any yeah. like looking over the shoulder. It's like so you know. And then mm-hmm. also we have this semi weird relationship between the the people who support us. Uh, mm. So we have kind of we want to be accountable to God, to the people who support us, to our teams, to our leaders, and whose accountability or or whatever is most important. And when we write our newsletters, what do we write, and how do we make sure people keep supporting us? But then to the Lord, how are we just faithful with that? Uh, and as a part of a team, how are we diligently and honestly and deliberately working along the guidelines or the methodologies of the team that we've submitted to it's uh, yeah it's complicated it's super complicated yeah and there's also this aspect of working in creative access nations amongst the least reached for example yeah. a lot of people are going to be teaching a language in a language center or working you know with uh, refugees or disabled people are they going to be doing some some job that is not necessarily church planting. Yeah, sure. Does that make sense? Like in order to be there, you're going to be doing something that is not 100% church planting. So then it also gets, yeah, it does, it does get complicated really fast. But I think this is why this, the the very reason why it's comp, uh, why it's frustrating is because it is complicated. Hmm. So maybe it's a a catch 22, no matter what we're measuring, we're always going to be annoying some people. 
Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? And then I think this is a great place to pivot into uh, feedback. Mm. Something I, I learned during my studies that I, that I looked at again recently is, is, is different types of learning or thinking. It's called mm-hmm. single, double, or triple loop learning. And the single loop has to do with doing things the right way. And the double loop has to do with doing, like, doing the right thing. And then the triple loop is uh-huh. how do we decide what is the right thing? <laughs> you know? Okay. So, so am, I, am I sharing faith the right way? But then the double loop is like, well, should I really be, be sharing it this way? And then, hmm, how do we figure out what is the right way in this context? So I guess it comes back to contextualization that we were talking about earlier and stuff. And it's a complicated problem that we're looking at or a complex situation. So maybe then we, maybe we're not giving enough time to guide and lead people that they need in relation to how complicated the, the life and the task is. And this is, of course, my, my, my coaching side speaking. Um, I, I spoke to someone who was, who was working with an organization, a church planting organization, and they, and they were saying that when they gave their church planters coaches, like things went a lot better. Things, hmm. things, things like, you know, the, God really seemed to bless it and it was really helpful. And, and what I think is, I think that because it's such a complicated situation and work, you need adequate support. And then having a coach that helps you de- untangle the, the complexity of this and make sense of it and help you choose what is right understand why you think that is right and then do that the right way uh, mm. I really think that because then you're, you are as a leader you are giving adequate tools to the people that you are supposed to lead who are supposed to do a complicated task does that make sense yeah absolutely absolutely and I definitely I definitely can see how adding the dimension of a coach mm. uh, could definitely help in this area a lot of workers on the field practically function as self-employed people Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of autonomy whether it's find a job that sustains your residency in this country or figure out what it you know how how to build relationships how to disciple how to plant churches you know whatever here's the seven best practices now go for it Mm. Uh, a lot of people are functioning as self-employed people Mm. and so having that aspect of a coach Mm. removes some of the vacuum Mm. from that aspect Mm -hmm. let's talk about feedback Mm. a little bit Mm. do you have you experienced great feedback on the field whether you're giving it whether you're receiving it what does feedback look like for you whether it's appraisals or i don't know whatever whatever it may be maybe maybe more uh when i say feedback though maybe have you received intentional feedback from leaders i mean there's better and worse ways of of giving feedback of course and and one of the better or maybe one of the best ones that i've noticed is a, a way of giving feedback where you're you're valuing and given agency and giving uh, responsibility to the people you give feedback to by asking people how did something go how did how did this event go how did this um, how is your bible study group going how is your personal evangelism going you ask the person what's going well you ask hmm. the person what what's a struggle and and then you 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 try to hear their own view of the situation and many times 
people know what they're doing well and people know what they're not doing well or where they're struggling. Mm. So, so how do you get them to, to be honest? Well, you build rapport and you build trust with them by, for example, caring about them personally. So, and when, so when there's trust, people dare to open up and be honest, then you will hear from them themselves what is going well and what is not going well. Uh, I mean, it's very, very simplified and, and, and a bit generalized, but but I really do think it matters. I, th I think it, I think it really makes a difference. So how how you give the feedback can affect the the feedback you get, mm. or or if you want to yeah, yeah 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 yeah. And if you want to give feedback, I think the best the best thing is to to start with the person's own opinions about the situation and understanding of the situation, and then build from there. When do you think is a good time to give feedback? What is and what is kind of an appropriate rhythm of feedback? I guess it depends on what the relationship is between the people giving feedback and receiving it. What, what, what did you have in mind? Did you have something specific in mind? I, I have myself in mind. Yeah. What is a healthy amount of feedback? Like what, what would I want my team leader to be asking me and how often? Yeah. Maybe you could just coach me. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so what, what, what do you think? I get so little feedback. Yeah. And I have gotten so little feedback my entire time on the field. That's why I asked the question. I want to learn yeah. about how we should be doing this better and how I should be more proactive in getting feedback. Because I think feedback adds a la layer of accountability as well. Positive accountability. Yeah. How come you think... You haven't received enough feedback. Well, I don't receive feedback. I don't know if this is going to make it into the podcast uh, <laughs> the final yeah. recording, but I am almost never asked what I'm doing. I, it's assumed I'm doing great. Yeah. Well, well, why do you think that is? Okay, maybe two things, and I don't know. I'm just guessing. Maybe the assumption is because I have a lot of relationships with Arabs that I'm doing fantastic, you know? Right. And then maybe the other one is because I've been here longer than everybody else. Yeah. Maybe people don't want to ask me yeah. or maybe they think like I'm obviously doing good or maybe they feel like they don't have the right to ask me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I never ask for it. Right, right, right. So, so maybe then initially who who has the right to give you direct feedback? Maybe that's one question. And then, yeah, what are you doing and how is feedback going to help you do that? I think my either my team leader has the uh, has the right to do that, or anybody else I give the right to. Yeah. You know, so it maybe doesn't even have to be somebody on my team or in my organization. You know, yeah. just saying like, hey, I want to I want to meet with you once a week or once a month. Yeah. Ask me, uh, ask me how did how did, how did it go? What's going well? Mm. <laughs> What's a struggle? Yeah. How would it help? I think the processing of the questions of feedback yeah. would help take action on either things to start doing or, st or stop doing. Yeah, yeah. So either a, a mentor or a peer mentor or a coach or a team leader or a field leader or a friend. But because of the complexity and the, or organic, the organic nature of the work, maybe the feedback needs to be more organic Whatever that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> no, but like, so, so you're saying you're saying you've realized that you have a need for accountability and for feedback. Who gives it to you? Well, nobody. Yeah. And you give a, yeah. a, a few good reasons: seniority, maybe age, maybe experience, uh, whatever. So, uh, but you've realized it, so maybe then you need to go ask for it. Which is a like, of course, you would you'd want you'd want your boss to to come to you with this, but because you've realized the need, and then maybe you you need to go. Talk to your boss.
Yeah, what well, I I I one hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard of uh, kaizen? What is it? Is it kaizen? Is that the Japanese word for like a constant improvement? Sure. Yeah. Have you heard of kaizen meetings? Have you heard of these? Uh, I think I think I know what you're saying, but uh, but tell me. I don't I don't exactly. I've only heard of it once, but it really intrigued me. This idea of like sitting down with a a boss, a coach, a mentor, and having a kaizen meeting where you where you say like, how can I be the best possible version of myself in what I'm doing? You know, how can I be most consistent, most faithful? Uh, most diligent or whatever in in what I'm doing. Where do I? How can I improve most? And just having that as a regular routine, I, I feel like yeah, maybe it's not for everybody, but I do feel like feedback should be for everyone mm-hmm. in uh, in missions. Mm. Yeah, no, sure. Uh, and I I think we relate to feedback differently because of maybe our view, our self confidence, and our self image. I guess. Um, mm. Depending on how good we think we are at what we do, and depending on how we feel about ourselves, we will we will need maybe different levels of gentleness in the feedback. Um, mm. When things are more complicated, complex, they need to, then, then, then the feedback needs to be more complex as well. It can't be just like, you know, uh, are you following the recipe? Yes, no. Like, are you doing this? Yes, no. Are you doing this? Yes, no. No, it needs to be more, more organic mm. than that, more contextualized than that, more com- mm. complex than that. Um, yeah, so not just asking... Uh, you know where you're at on the you know the ten best practices, mm-hmm. but more personalized for the individual. Yeah. Why do you think those appraisals, where you have to write down your answers, are so useless? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think that's such a bad way of doing feedback, of getting feedback, and of receiving feedback? Well, I, I don't think everyone would agree with it, but I think that also has to do with with how comfortable you are with it, how much you've done it as the leader, and how relevant it is for the work. It's a very non-organic tool. So if you put it, if you use it in a very organic situation, it's just going to feel like a joke. Like, mm-hmm. like who cares? This is not even relevant, you know. So, so how do you make an appraisal relevant for the person? And if the person's work is of an organic nature and and complicated or complex and very much integrated into life, well, then then a, a, a simple and plain appraisal sheet will not cut it. Mm. So to me, it comes back to this, the whole relational aspect. If your work is relational, well, then you need a very relational appraisal. Mm. And if, you're, if your work is very, with very clear things you measure, then it's, it's easier to have a um, more 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 static approach to asking the appraisal questions or feedback questions yeah exactly and i know some companies they they don't do a yearly appraisal but they do like certain checkup questions every week or every fortnight so it's like an ongoing thing uh, but once again depends on what the purpose of the appraisal is so maybe from if you if you if you never have any feedback and then suddenly your your team leader or field leader implements yearly appraisals well that's then you're going from nothing to something and then after a while like well actually this is not great. It, it was better than nothing, but we need to tweak it. Keep working mm-hmm. with it, you know, uh, because I think team organization and team is an organism. It's living. Mm-hmm. It's moving. The the environment that the organism is in changes, and the people inside the organization changes. And some things should be changing in the organization, uh, and and routines like this need to to be adjusted to what the team needs and the individuals need, rather than just serving serving the structure or serving the the the, mm. the the checklist or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and maybe uh, we can wrap things up with 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 this. Uh, but I I do think this uh, dovetails well into this feeling. So going back to measuring, <laughs> going back to measuring success and failure. I think a lot of times people feel like when we're measuring, when we're asked to measure, when we're asked to count, uh, we're doing it for the sake of the people in the home offices rather than for the the benefit of our own ministries. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not being asked to count to so I can improve. Mm-hmm. I'm being asked to count because whoever's in the home office or the field office mm-hmm. Uh, needs to report numbers to their boss. Mm-hmm. Do, have you thought at all about how we can do this without making it feel like this? No, I, I mean it is. It is. It's two worlds that are very much colliding here. Uh, in a way, the home office world where quantity—it's numbers—you need to to put in your reports. And on the field, it's so much more about quality, about people growing in faith and daring to share, and and um, you know these things. So, so how do you bridge the gap between the quantity world and the quality world? If you, will? I mean, it's 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 simplified, but and and I think one one thing is the the relationships between the two, the relationships between individuals on the field and in the home offices, so that you know, because the people in the home office they don't have any any quote-unquote cool stories to share, but they do have the the beautiful testimonies of what people are doing on the field. And they, they're part, they, they are a link in that chain or they're a cog in that machinery that, mm. that gets people out to the field and, and helps enable, enable people to stay on the field. So maybe it comes down to communication between these two worlds and relationships between these two worlds and understanding how they're interlocked and they're interdependent. Okay, so this is this the difference between data collection mm. and uh, narrative. Mm. I think we love the narrative. Mm. We hate the data collection. <laughs> so the, the, the frontline worker hates the data collection, mm-hmm. loves the narrative. Yeah. If you asked me to write a 500-word story about what God is doing in the life of one of my local friends, yeah. I'm, I'll be so happy to communicate that with you. Mm. If you ask me to collect data mm. on what God is doing, <laughs> then I'm going to be like, man, how long can I push this off for? Yeah, yeah. I think it's not the narrative collection yeah. that people push back on. Mm. I think it's the data collection. Mm. Well, let me, let me bounce that back to you and say, how come people don't like the data collection? The data collection, because maybe 90% of what a frontline worker on the field is doing is not measurable. Mm. Last night, I was sitting with four uh, believers from Muslim backgrounds, Mm. and there's a fifth guy who has been excommunicated from the community because uh, he has been stealing massive amounts of money from uh, other believers. Mm. And we had long conversations about this. Mm. What's going on here, which is going to be, you know, a month long. I mean, this is going to this is a, going to be a month long event in the, in these these people's lives, at least, where it's going to be talked about every day. You know, an mm. ongoing uh, event. It's unmeasurable. Mm. Mm. There's no there's no data for me to present. Yeah, sure. 
that that we prayed for this guy last night mm. and there was also gossip and cursing mm. of this guy mm. last night you know mm. oh there's no data here mm. and uh, that's what i think most people are doing on on the field you know mm. there it's this like daily rhythm of slow discipleship over a long period of time that just doesn't look good on a data sheet yeah and then that makes me come back to this whole conversation of how do you how do these two worlds the quantity versus the quality world um, or narrative versus data, as you said. How, how do how do the narrative world and the data world communicate, and how do they understand the, the, that these two worlds have different needs and different realities? And I guess it comes back to to relationships and and trust and understanding, and not us and them, but it's it's a bigger us. It's a bigger we. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that. It's this we thing. We're in this together. That's helping the people on the ground understand the reason for the for collecting the data yeah. maybe maybe a, maybe a lot of it is communication <laughs> helping the people on the ground understand why the data is being collected and doing it in an honoring way and in a gentle way as in we understand that this is this is a bit, bit of a stretch it's a bit hard for you uh but this is why we need it and this is how this affects you as well because we, we don't like all the work we do we don't like all the tasks we do but this is one maybe that you don't like or love, but this is why it's important. So please, let's chip in and, and do this together. Yeah, communicating the relevance of what's happening. Right. I love it. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of what has been said has been relevant, at least to me. I feel like uh, I'm not sure if this was a podcast or just a coaching session, <laughs> <laughs> but I am very grateful for your time mm. and uh, grateful for your insight and your wisdom. Mm. I like your perspective. I think uh, you, come to, you come to these topics and to the topic of missions with an intellectual perspective that I really appreciate. Yeah. Mm. So thanks for being with me today. Mm. Thank you. Amen to that. Well, you can definitely see how much more intelligent and mature he is than I am, but that's okay. I get to listen and learn from him. Hey, thanks for making it to the end of the podcast. It's not easy to get through 49 minutes uh, of audio. So thanks for doing that. And I just want to remind you what whatever's going on in your life, success, or failure, it's okay to be normal.